Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Kiseitsei Revi'i, the fourth Aliyah in Pasha's Kiseitsei. Our Aliyah is 18 Pesukim long, running from Perik Chof Kimel Pasuk Ches to Chof Hey. The topic of our Aliyah is living with Hashem in our everyday life. And this is the general theme of Kiseitsei as a whole. The basic summary is we hear about a few specific mitzvahs. We hear about the holiness of the Jewish war camp. We're told that first, do not hate an Edomite because he is your brother. Do not hate an Egyptian because you lived in his land. The third generation of their children may marry into the Jewish community. Now, when you go to war, we're told that we have to be careful of bad things. A man who will have a seminal mission at night will have to leave the camp, and in the evening he will wash in water and return to the camp. We're also told that a person has to have Yased al-Azaynecha, a peg on the weapons belt, in order to, when they need the bathroom, they need to walk out of the camp, they need to go and bury their excrement. And this is because Hashem walks among the camp and it should be holy. This is the ending of the first section in Aliyah. The next one talks about morality in society. So we hear that if you have a runaway slave who arrives at your door, you cannot send him back to his master. We're also told that there should not be prostitutes among women or men in Israel's society. And finally, the lamb of payment for a prostitute, the money for buying a dog, may not be used as a nether in the Beis Midash. They are considered disgraces. We then hear the third topic of our earlier, which is interest and usury. That you are not allowed to charge interest upon loans to our brethren, whether it be in money, food, or any other currency. But we may charge the interest to a non-Jew. And finally, the last section of the Aliyah is about Nidarim, about pledges. That when you pledge to bring a Korban to Hashem, don't delay in bringing it. You, will, you, you should rather not make an error and not come to sin. Um, and be careful that whatever you say, you should, uh, whatever you vow, you should bring to Hashem. So a lot of very complex mitzvahs here. Just a few basic points to ponder as the tip of this very large iceberg here. A few basics. On the first point that we're not allowed to hate Egyptians or Edomites. Why aren't, why, uh, why aren't we allowed to abhor these nations? They tried to hurt us. The Egyptians enslaved us and the Edomites tried to attack us. The Netziv Ravnatari Tzihud Berlin explains that Hashem wants to cultivate a morally ascendant perspective in His people. And that means to say that we have a national historical consciousness. We don't just live in the moment. We don't live in modules of 10 years and that's all this news cycle. We have a sense of propriety and past. And part of our past is appreciating the fact that we are family to some nations and appreciating the fact that, that we share some gratitude to nations, even though it's a complex sense of gratitude. That's what it means to be morally ascendant and historically conscious. Another question. Why are the Edomites and Mitzrim better than the Moabites and the Ammonites, who are never allowed to enter the community, not even after three generations? So Rashi explains they, that those nations, the Edomites and the Mitzrim, tried to hurt us physically. The Edomites came out to attack us in Pasha's Lukas, and the Mitzrim enslaved us for many years. But they did not try to corrupt us spiritually, as the Moabites did when they hired Bilam and therefore ultimately sent their daughters out to misguide the nation of Israel. That's seen as a much more consequential crime when it comes to this. It's so important to think about this in education. That it's much more important the spiritual leaders or perhaps bad role models for our children than the physical ones as well. It's very important to have spiritual. Spiritual is a very important point when it comes to the dangers that lurk. Now, we're, uh, we're also being told about this, this camp that has to be so holy and a uh, war camp. But isn't it interesting that the seminal emission, that's when a, when a person has 
a man has thoughts, and then that it comes, it leads to Sheikh Vazir Lavatala, that uh, seed is emitted at night. Um, and that seems to be like a very sort of granule, very detail oriented expression. That doesn't seem like, you know, the sort of expression of having a holy camp. So Rashi says the first thing is we need to understand that war is a dangerous time, and Satan is Makatreg, persecutes or prosecutes at the time of danger. So therefore, you have to be specifically careful about all the little things at a time that you're in a dangerous situation. The Ramban is the reason he says the war is a time when basic morality falls apart. All kinds of laws disappear. People eat all kinds of things. People do anything without consequence. They can do whatever they want and there's nobody overlooking. And that being the case, the Torah is emphasizing condition in the Jewish camp even at the time of war. And it's interesting that Chazal actually point out that part of this is because the Aaron HaKodesh the, one of the holy Aarons, whether it be the same one or another one, would come out to war. That would make demands on the morality and the cleanliness halachically in the way they, uh, they uh, uh, used themselves and the way that they acted in, in their camp. The Balaturim points out that the peg on the belt that you show Yased al-Azenecha can also be read in a different way that your hands, your fingers, should be plugs for your ears. In that when you're exposed to vulgar language and ideas, you should use that plug, that Yased, so to speak, and put in your ears, not to expose yourself to this. What's fascinating about all of this is that war usually involves gross immorality. And the Torah is focusing on such small basics, the way you go to the bathroom, the thoughts before you go to sleep at night, the vulgar language. All of these ideas, it's the minutia which create the type of camp that Hashem wants. Holiness is not in broad strokes, it's in even the small way and the sensitivity of interaction, which is what the Torah is framing for us here. Let's move on to the next section in the question, which is, what is the business of not returning a slave? So Ibn Ezra says this refers to a war. You're about to go to war and, and slaves flee from the masters on the other side. You do not give them back to the other side. The Rambam in Paskinus and Halacha actually explains they were referring to a slave who runs away from the diaspora and tries to run to Israel. In that case, you, do not, you need to facilitate their freedom so that that person does not need to return to slavery in the diaspora. Another interesting point is that you notice that the word for a prostitute in the Torah is a Kadesha or a Kadesh, which is fascinating because it sounds like the word holy, Kadesh. Why is that? So Rashi explains this is a person who is designated or set aside, Kadesh, set aside, but in this case, the set-aside is for immorality, not for holiness. Rav Hirsch points out that the word actually could mean to be surrendered. So a person is surrendered to a higher calling or to a very, very base and lower calling. Rav Hirsch points out that, interestingly enough, what de- differentiates a prostitute from a real marriage partner is the word kiddushin, sanctification. Not being surrendered to a system of low, lowest value or being used and objectified, but kiddushin being set aside for something special, that the relationship matters. Another question, what is so wrong with this, what's called esnan zona and mechir kelev, which means the, literally the um, animal that was used in payment for a prostitute, or the mechir kelev, or, this, or that which was uh, we'll called the sell money for a dog. Um, the Ramban explains that, that in these situations, we're talking about, just to clarify the dog situation, we're talking about a person who... Um, breeds hunting dogs, dogs which are going to be used in betting situations, in bullfights. Um, and, and what this person does is that although they feel bad about that, they will call it a very bad activity that they're doing in society, what they do is they 
pay it off by using some of the proceeds that they win from this, and they give it as a nedr to the base of Migdash. So the same kind of thing where, where a prostitute would be, so to speak, paying off the guilt, which is uh, um, by using this particular animal as a nedr. In both these cases, uh, the Torah is saying is don't feel the base of Migdash is a way you can pay off the negative activities you're doing in your life. That's really what the idea is here, explains, explains the Ramban. Two more questions, Nalia. Isn't it racist that the Jews don't charge interest to Jews, but they do charge interest to non-Jews? The Ramban explains very simply, well, the default in society is that time is worth money, which is why if you lend somebody money, you can charge interest. That's the way of the world. The exception is, is our brothers. You don't charge interest to your family loan if it's a functional family. And the Ramban's chiddush is, is that all of Israel is considered brothers. So Israel is the exception, not the rule. Charging interest is not a bad thing, it's a normal thing. And in fact, in Europe, when the Jews were not allowed to do any other form of business, that was all they were able to do. And then they were hated for being good at the only thing they were allowed to do. Patterns which seem to reverberate throughout history. One last question is, why is Nadarim mentioned here at the end, these vows of bringing Karbanos? Rav Hirsch points out it comes back to the same basic idea about ribis, about ownership, and that is that you don't really own what you have. Hashem can make demands of it, and you ought to make these Nadarim in order to show who the property really belongs to. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.